0: But it's also really important for the individual to understand what is required in the world of work, what is not just, you know, the sort of things that were thought to be important at work 50 years ago, but the things that are on the horizon today, right? So we tended to take a very strengths-based approach. So we've got great scales, great data on things like resilience, grit growth mindset collaboration confidence courage you know all of these types of aspects uh, which actually those key transitions most employers are more interested in right because if you don't have this sort of cv or you don't have this uh, organizational experience you've just got your educational experience what they're looking for is does this person have the attributes to be able to deal with the current and the future world of work and how fast it's changing
1: this is the rebel hr podcast the podcast where we talk to HR innovators about all things people leadership. If you're looking for places to find about new ways to think about the world of work, this is the podcast for you. Please subscribe from your favorite podcast listening platform today and leave us a review. Rebel on, HR Rebels. Welcome back, HR Rebels. Really excited for the conversation here this week. We are going to be talking all about talent assessments. Our guest this week is David Jones. He is the founder and CEO at the Talent Enterprise, a leading think and do tank focused on the elevation of human capital, integrating modern psychometric tools and assessment solutions with the latest advancements in AI and data science. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you very much, Kyle. Pleasure to be here. I'm just really glad that I got through the intro and pronounced psychometric correctly. You almost tripped me up on that. So. Well done. Well done. You did well.
0: You said, you said it's 10 o'clock in the morning, so if you can't do it at 10 o'clock, you can't do it time.
1: Exactly. Well, I do want to thank you for joining us um, in your evening hours and and for spending some time here uh, helping our listeners learn a little bit more about talent assessments and, and some of the work that you've done. So uh, before we jump into that, just uh, give me a little bit of an overview of your background and what got you into the talent assessment space. Yeah.
0: So um, I've been uh, in the HR space uh, since I graduated, had a lot of other jobs and uh, stuff beforehand. but um, uh, And I guess I had some really, quite unusually, I had some really good career guidance at university. Um, And they I had no clue what I wanted to do. And the career guidance counselor said, look, think about what is it that you enjoy uh, at university and uh, try try and think of some careers that relate to that. So I used to work for the student newspaper. I used to interview all the rock bands and politicians that would come to campus. That was a big uh, favorite of mine. I used to play rugby also and um, I, I got trained to be a coach as we sort of got better as a team and I enjoyed coaching those sessions uh, and then in the UK university uh, situation which I think is a little bit different to how it is in the US we every term we have what we call um, uh, um, a, 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 a session where you actually run uh, the session for your professor so you prepare the lecture you prepare and you lead the session, right? Um, and I really enjoyed those as well. So, so the guy said, why don't you go into HR? I'm like, okay, fine. And it actually worked. It was a really good uh, uh, experience. I went to work for a supermarket uh, in the UK called Sainsbury's. It's one of their HR um, uh, graduates and uh, worked in their very highly unionized distribution division, dealing with lorry drivers and uh, warehouse people, Um a few different jobs with them and then went into uh, the banking sector, the consulting sector. Then uh, a lot of my clients were in aviation at the time. And I went to there's an air show in the UK called Farmer Air Show. I met these guys from this place called Dubai with an airline called Emirates, which I'd never heard of. This was in 1996. And they said, Hey, we're looking to professionalize our HR and get performance management and competencies and e learning and psychometric assessments. Um, would you be interested? And I said, well, okay, fine. So I went for an interview and uh, stayed with them for eight years. Then I became the HR manager for Dubai Airport. Uh, then I went back into consulting with a company called Aon Hewitt, which is now called Concentric. I was their Middle East, North Africa leader. And then 10 years ago, um, myself and a few colleagues, we set up our enterprise to really try and come up with some innovative, differentiated approaches to talent. management. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I think most people probably know who the Emirate, you know, the Emirates uh, airline is now, just because of, the, uh, of the, all the, the well, football jerseys, but yeah. uh, soccer for me. But
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah no. they they also got into which I think was very innovative. They sponsored a lot of the, um, the referees and the the umpires and the judges, which I think cost a fraction of sponsoring a team. Um, but actually we're on the camera more often than the team, if you think about it. So that, that's <laughs> so way they became very, very good in their branding.
1: There you but, go. There you go. So, uh, you know, really interesting background. It's funny. I started my HR career at a supermarket as well. So, uh, you know, okay. that's, yeah. that's funny. The, uh, the correlations that you find there, but, mm. um, you know, so I, I know, you know, stepping out and starting your own enterprise is, is not an easy task. Um, as you, uh, started up, uh, your, your company uh, at the talent enterprise, uh, w- where did you see the problem that needed solving or what was, what was your kind of your, your goal as you started the organization? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think there's,
0: there was probably a couple of dimensions to it. One was, um, from a sort of regional perspective and another one I think was from an industry perspective. So as someone who, was a practitioner on many different psychometric assessments and including organizational assessments and 360 or that sort of stuff. Um, I felt increasingly dissatisfied with a number of the tools, right? I think there are some really good tools in that space, uh, but I also think there are some really anachronistic, outdated and increasingly irrelevant tools. And I think the more you probe into some of them, the basics statistical robustness of some of them uh, particularly the validity the reliability the stability um the research groups that they've used and the and the sort of applications that they try and broaden from that i think is questionable in some ways um and from a regional point of view obviously uh, i've been based in the middle east for some time our company is headquartered in dubai we do a lot of work in africa and asia um, some in Europe as well, but mostly with fast moving, fast growing economies where the population profile is much younger. The culture is quite different. And you sometimes think that, okay, these sort of Western tools that are seen as best practice, um, have the strongest brand names may not always be appropriate to some of the applications or some of the, um, the users that are actually uh, taking the tests in, in that regard.
1: You know that's really fascinating, and it's you know it has been my experience that some of the tools that are you know a lot of them originated in the in the United States or you know EU UK um, when you try to leverage those for other very distinctly different cultures the the data is really hard to interpret and and it, it it's almost like there's there's a cultural disconnect you know my organization as an example we have. Uh, we have a large contingency in in Southeast Asia, and yeah. when I do an employee engagement survey, I there's no way for me to really benchmark that against the other locations. The survey results are just so drastically different. It's almost like, is this even valid data? What do I do with this data? You know, it's it's really hard to unpack. So, so so how do you address that? You know, what what were some of the strategies or tactics yeah. to to come up with a new way to do it?
0: Honestly, one of the major things is we want it to be a lot busier with our data. So I think some of the international uh, companies and brands were quite lazy in the sense that they felt, okay, we, you know, we have a global benchmark, global norm group. We have maybe some very broad regional norm group, um, but it's quite a small sort of end size when you, when you probe into it. So we, we, we started to say, okay, let's get really busy with the data, right? So we started to really break it down by demographics, by biographics, by different educational factors, One of the key things we found quite early on, and we've really um, sort of ploughed this thorough uh, uh, very earnestly since then, is we always also try to provide all of the tools in the local language or a variety of languages. So um, one of the things we found, for instance, uh, here in uh, the GCC, obviously Arabic is the the major language. If you ask somebody to complete a survey about their preferences uh, or their style or their capabilities, and you ask them, if they're a native Arabic speaker, you ask them to complete it in English, they would tend to be much more cautious in the way that they answer the the question. Typically, the the responses are collapsed to the mean, okay? Whereas if you ask them exactly the same questions, double, you know, reverse translated uh, in Arabic, they'll be much more confident or much more expressive to be able to say, actually, this is particularly high or particularly low, so... The problem then that means from a practical point of view, if you're using uh, mainly global, mainly English uh, tools, then a lot of local respondents are going to come across as average, because they're just not really deviating from the mean in many cases, right? On the on the response scale, uh, which, if you've got a large sample, is really not not logical, right? There's going to be people who are uh, across the full range. So, um, that was one
1: key aspect
0: that we really focused on.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, I I think it's really interesting to think about that. And it's, it's, to me, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, you can't just, you can't just take a question and put it in a Google translate and expect that that's going to be asking the same nuance (laughs) that you intended that question to ask, right? Like it's like, Culture is so drastically different. Language is drastically different. And in, intention is, is yes. different depending upon lo- the language yeah. you use.
0: Yeah. I think the other thing we decided to really focus on a lot was also to try and again, not because there are some great tools out there, right? We didn't want to copy or duplicate anything that was, was good. And we, and we use a lot of great tools that have been established for for many years now. Um, but we tried to focus in areas where we felt that either there were no good tools uh or questionable tools or no tools at all um and trying to really sort of think about how we can address areas of the employee life cycle which were sort of underserved right so we focus a lot on things like career guidance tools right and we found now that you know that transition whether you're joining a company from high school or from you know graduate uh, level um that is a really key uh, transition for people to make right. it's key for the employer to really identify the talent where really most of the data to go on is is their educational performance you don't really have a lot of sort of organizational track record to go on so that was really important for employers who are obviously our clients but it's also really important for the individuals right um to understand what is required in the world of work what is um uh not just you know the sort of things that were thought to be important at work 50 years ago but the things that are the horizon today, right? So we tended to take a very strengths-based approach. So we've got great scales, great data on things like resilience, grit, growth mindset, collaboration, confidence, courage, you know, all of these types of aspects, uh, which actually at those key transitions, most employers are more interested in, right? Because if you don't have this sort of uh, CV or you don't have this uh, organizational experience, you've just got your educational experience, what they're looking for is: Does this person have the attributes to be able to deal with the current and the future world of work, and how fast it's changing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know the the value of a tool like that for me is it's it's so much deeper than a than a CV or a resume or anything like that. Where you know, it, so many times you'll have somebody on 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 paper that looks like a perfect fit. Yes, but you might be wrong. And then vice versa, you might have somebody who doesn't look like a perfect fit on paper, but would actually fit because of the, you know, kind of the behavioral tendencies yes. uh, that they just have. They'd be, you know, the, the right fit for that seat. So um, do, you, do you typically see um, organizations uh, put these types of measurements into their, their talent assessment processes? Or do you see this more broadly across organizations that successfully leverage this type of, of information? Well,
0: See, I, th- I think if you can if you can deploy the assessments in a what can I say in an open, transparent, sustainable way, um, then I think assessments those those of our clients, those organisations that we work with that do that successfully, then actually assessments become more pervasive. Mm. Okay, so, so what I mean is, if if assessments is something that is sort of secretive and you are sort of asked to do it with no explanation, and then somebody in HR gets to keep it and it goes on your file and maybe you did it for a leadership development program, uh, two years ago and then you went for a job today and somebody pulled up the, the same psychometric from your file and said, Oh, your psychometrics weren't very good. That's, that's not, <laughs> really, that's not really going to promote the sort of positive approach. Yeah. To science, right? So if And what we advocate, right, is using a lot of interesting technology, right? We say, look, this is a tool which has many different stakeholders, right? One of them, obviously, whether it's data protection, whether it's providing timely feedback, whether it's telling people exactly what's going to happen to to their results, is the person who's taking the assessment themselves, right? So we want to make sure that if it's appropriate, you get high-level headline results immediately, Right? on your phone or your tablet or your laptop or TV or whatever it might be right like and and it's for you and it's not necessarily very statistical it's not necessarily that you have to take one of the psychometrics uh, accreditation programs to understand it it's saying, look, okay, Kyle, these are your top three strengths. These are your bottom three strengths. This is what you might want to do to leverage your strengths. This is what you might want to think about in terms of priorities for development. Maybe you could discuss this with your manager or your, your HR representative. Like It's practical, right? It's very, it's, it's very inclusive, right? And then obviously there's much more detail for the HR professional. For the manager, if they're going to perform coaching or make selection decisions, then we would then be very pinpoint and say, look, again, here's the very basic highs and lows, and here's some questions you might want to ask Kyle about his top strength or about his, his uh, biggest area for development, right, with some probing questions suggested, et cetera. So we want to be squeezing the juice out of the investment in the assessment, but also making it a much more open and positive experience.
1: Absolutely. I I laughed when you said like the, (laughs) that, you know, make make it transparent because it just reminds me so much of, uh, you know, an experience I had earlier in my career where there was like this secret list of high potential employees, right? Okay, and, and nobody really knew who was on the list and and everybody kind of hoped they were, but like would randomly find out, uh, when they were talking to somebody in human I, resources, I really only find
0: out when they resigned, and they say, Oh, we're so disappointed. Uh, yeah. You
1: were so high I, potential. I'm like, we not, I, I didn't I know that. that. <laughs> I never knew.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Namely running HR for a sized business means you need software that can keep up with all you do. So you can focus on strategy, culture, and keeping your employees happy. You need Namely, the all-in-one HR solution that makes life easier for your employees, your boss, and you. Namely's HR platform covers your essential HR and compliance needs in one place. Whether you have 50 or 1,000 employees, Namely's all-in-one integrated platform is designed to be used by everyone, every Day, With a mobile app and elegant UI, Namely lets employees request PTO, appreciate peers, review their pay stubs, and even answer their own HR questions. Namely offers it all, from onboarding and payroll to time tracking benefits, employee engagement, and so much more. You'll finally have the time and data you need to drive the initiatives your company really cares about. I want you to simplify your HR processes with Namely, so I've arranged a special offer for all my Rebel HR listeners. Right now, get a free month of unlimited access to Namely's all-in-one HR platform, but only when you go to Namely.com slash Rebel HR. Remember, for your free month, that's Namely.com slash Rebel HR. Rebel on. Absolutely. Yeah, so I I think that's a a really great point, you know, and and I, I think that, you know, one of the experiences I've had, especially with somebody who's not used to this type of a, of a, of an assessment as an employee is, you know, you really, it can be scary. You know, these assessments aren't necessarily comfortable for everybody to take. And people like me, I love taking these things, you know, I'm, I'm taking the, the quiz to see what Disney princess I am, you know, what kind yeah, right, of, you know, right, 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 right. <laughs> what kind of sandwich would you be? You know, whatever. I just, it's just that, weird. That, that,
0: those were the type of assessments <laughs> I was talking about earlier.
1: The ones that were not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and like, yeah, it's, it's like, uh, yeah, it's it's you know there, there's a lot of different types of assessments out there, and so which which ones actually work? Which ones actually I think give you actionable insights? Right? You know that's that's really kind of the key word. And I, I love the I love in your, your you know your your bio that's it's not a think tank; it's a think and do tank, right? So yeah. you know, so how do you approach the uh, the post assessment work? So you know, it's one thing to take an assessment and and have all this this information. What what makes a successful kind of a post assessment uh, action plan? Yeah, yeah no, I know.
0: I, I mean, and we're really passionate about that.
1: We can get very geeky, right? We can
0: get into analysis paralysis. We want to like do more uh, data processing, right? And and that can be really really beneficial, but only really if you're pragmatic about it as well, right? So if you've got an insight that uh, helps you um, to I guess our vision, right, is to, ha- is to help make labor markets more efficient, right? And to make any market more efficient, you need information and everybody needs information, right? So if you uh, if you uh, have some insights that you can glean from analysis that you can share with people, then this can be really interesting, right? So one of the big changes we're seeing, for, just for a practical example, right, is we're doing a lot of now metadata analysis on psychometric assessments right so so for instance right we have a platform called lighthouse which is the sort of environment where you go and the professional users have a dashboard to see the status of everybody's assessments when the individual gets a message or a video that says hey this is what this is for and this is what's happening right and we can get some very interesting insights on people's behavior um, and their preferences directly from how they interact on the site even around actually taking the assessment themselves, right? So if we have, for instance, right, like a typical classic uh, cognitive battery, right, of like verbal reasoning, numerical reasoning, I don't know, spatial reasoning, or error detection, or something like that, depending on the role. In most cases, you have the choice about which one you do first, right? Um, so which which card you click on the on the on the dashboard, right? Which one you want to do first? Now that reveals a lot about. Which one did you choose to do first? Which one do you feel more confident about? Um, how do you interact with the instructions, right? We have standard instructions. We have practice questions, which you can repeat endlessly if you want to, right? So do you do that at all, or do you jump right into the the main questions? It's like the sort of Ikea furniture thing, right? Like do you rip open the box and like get stuck in? And then read the instructions as the last resort if things go wrong, or are you more meticulous and more organised in the way that you do it? Do you highlight things in the instructions? All of these things can be very revealing, particularly if there's some sort of personality or strengths-based assessment which is associated with that in the battery. So what what we're we're trying to sort of develop now is not just psychometrics where you use Questionnaires as a proxy measure for all these preferences and capabilities. We're, also, we're now moving into what we call behavior metrics, right? Which is direct measurement of people's behavior um, and using technology to try uh, to give additional insights. We'll be back after a quick break. And so, used to having everything in front of them right away that we forget that innovation just takes time. I I myself, I get frustrated too. Why? And you know, this is being one of my best friends is, hey, I talk to you all the time. Hey man, I'm frustrated in the fact that I can't seem to just get there in mm-hmm. the next day, but that's just not how these things work, right? Innovation needs to be planned out. It needs to be very methodical. And then when it finally hits, that's when it seems like to everyone else that it, it sort of just came out of nowhere. But to you, you know, the amount of dedication that it took over that time.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. I wanted to talk about this because I know you've done a lot of work and in, in the uh, the term is behavior metrics or, or yeah. the science of behavior metry, behavior metry. Yes. Correct. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. A lot of, you know, really stretching my pronunciations here today. I appreciate no, that. It's it's good. No, fantastic. Don't worry. Fantastic. Um, so yeah. Tell, tell me a little bit more about that science. You know, how, how do you approach that? I think this is, this is one of those areas for, from my standpoint, one of the most exciting areas of human resources is the it's re- really the, the element of human behavior, you yeah. know, and, and helping an organization have good, <laughs> you know, human behaviors, you know, that's really kind of the, The secret sauce of a successful, you know, culture and, and HR program. So, so tell me a little bit more about how you, how you really make that a science. How do you, you know, provide some objectivity there?
0: Yeah. So I think in a, in a lot of HR practices, talent assessments included, right? You've, we've got into this habit in the last 150 years of saying, well, what do we need? We need a survey, the survey is going to give us the information and we're going to be able to then analyze the survey right and it's not just human resources it's probably the whole of social science right it relies on the sort of survey methodology in in lots of different fields now okay 150 years ago that makes a lot of sense right because you had somebody probably knocking at your door with a clipboard and a, a quill pen like recording what you said right but i think um what we can do now is in some cases we can now say, well, actually the, the, the survey, and let's face it, we all have probably survey fatigue, right? Because we're completing surveys all the time uh, in our, in our organisations. The survey in some ways can be augmented and increasingly replaced by direct measurement of those behaviours that you're using the survey for. So at the moment, the survey is like a proxy measure. Um, and in some cases it's still the best. But if you can go to that behaviour directly, and you can measure it, well, why wouldn't you do that, right? So, for instance, you know, if we, if we were having a video interview or a face-to-face interview, okay, the gestures that you use when you're answering competency-based questions on particular factors, right, or uh, the way you explain how uh, there was an example that demonstrated a particular competency or a particular behaviour, we can, we can gauge... Uh, your confidence we can gauge your um, uh, the congruence of what you're saying with how you're saying it um, so we can measure like a confidence factor that this this person has a high rating in this competency and we can have a high confidence in that um, we can also do all sorts of things right like um, you were talking about engagement surveys i think on your previous podcast right and engagement surveys you know I believe they should be engaging as an intervention, right? And not just, oh my God, there's another questionnaire I have to <laughs> <You're> Right, right. <laughs> One of the ways to do that or augment it or add to it is that you can have direct measurements of engagement, right? You can do some really interesting things, right? There's a really interesting research around gait analysis, right? So like the cadence of your, your walk, right? And if you put a camera in a public space, like your sort of reception area of your office or your factory or something, you can measure the the rhythm of somebody's walking and you can see this change over different pi- points of the day or different points of the shift uh, and that gives a, a very good correlation a very good indication of overall levels of employee engagement fascinating yeah, so yeah this you, is you very have, interesting you have to be careful with this stuff because i think we're really still in the stone age with a lot of this stuff and you read a lot of stuff and you think That sounds great, but I really would like to see the proof of that. Um, And you have to be very cautious uh, and you have to manage people's data. You have to clean data. You have to have good data ethics. um, And it takes time to develop good quality data. But I think we're at the beginning of this, right? And And I definitely predict this is one of our sort of big strategic bets at the talent enterprise that at some point before the middle of the century, right, like the questionnaire is going to be dead. Like we're not going to have questionnaires.
1: Fascinating. Do you so as you're going through the kind of the, you know, analysis and and finding, you know, some of the the correlations between behavior, do you also find that some of those, you know, like the nonverbals and the, uh, the diligence of somebody taking a survey, that there's a cultural nuance there as well? Or is it or is it kind of universal, regardless of, of upbringing and geographic region and so on?
0: I, I think I mean culture is quite pervasive right And it's quite powerful right so I, I think um, you have to be able to try and have whatever benchmark you have and we try and use multiple benchmarks right so with our clients we're trying to use global regional industry or any other sort of demographic benchmark so you can get multiple sort of insights and comparison groups and I think uh, for sure culture is going to be one of the one of the factors right like it's it's uh, it's really about the way that we're brought up, right? Like the, the early years of our development where there's no rules, there's no sort of curriculum. Uh, we're brought up by our relatives or, you know, people around us, people at school with us have a big influence and that affects us for the rest of our lives. Right. And, and that cultural context cannot be ignored.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's really interesting. And I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I could see be really, really powerful. It could also be, like you said, there could absolutely be, a, you know, some risk there if people take some of these assessments and, um, you know, don't think objectively about the the, the individual, right? So how, so how do you kind of work through that? Like, I, I'll just give you an example of what I'm thinking about. So like that hiring manager who gets yep. this assessment that, that uses this and just takes that as As gospel, You know, it says, well, this says I can't hire this person, so I'm not going to. (laughs) That
0: that, that is not the way that psychometric assessments should be used, right? The the way they should be used is they can be very efficient, right, in terms of getting a high number of applicants very quickly, shortlisted to people that you want to have a video interview with or even ultimately have a face-to-face discussion with, right? So it can be very good at that it can be very good at helping you to improve the quality of your discussion, right? Because it's going to give you an insight and accelerate your insights and your understanding of this person to say, actually, these are the things I really want to find out more because these are the things that are coming up as distinct about this person compared to the average or compared to the norm group of tens or hundreds of thousands of other people. Right. So that's the way it should be used. I I think ultimately, you know, if you talk about human resources you know we are still human being human beings right and we we're using this as a decision uh decision making tool right it's like a decision aid and i think a lot of ai and a lot of technology at, at this point of its evolution is safely used as that right that you are, are sort of trying to give more information trying to give more inf- uh insights to a human being the human being uses their judgment uses their professional skill Uh, and is the decision making the things that may come in the future i'm not sure but the things that are probably a little bit alarming right now is when that whole process is automated
1: Mm, absolutely
0: yeah and i think that's where um uh you know we need to be careful because we're still at the infancy of this and if we if we go in the wrong direction the data can be biased the applications can be biased and we could end up you know, in, in in a pretty bad space, right? Or we have to rip it all up and start again.
1: Absolutely, I think that, you know that's a really great point, and I think I, I've seen this time and time again, where where you know we've used uh, some sort of an assessment, and you know, in um, and, and, and it almost is like a crutch to eliminate the decision-making <laughs> process. Yeah. It's like, well, this said that, so we we yeah. can't do this, you know? And it's like, you, no, you have to apply, you know, some reasoning to this. And, and, um and, and there's a lot of different factors that could be at play. So like, yeah, I like how you said it, that it's a tool to yeah. aid in the decision-making process. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I, and I think the other, the other thing to mention that I think is really fascinating is even in, you know, we're only a 10 year old company, right? But even in that 10 years, we've seen, some quite interesting developments in the data over that time period, right? And so you have to be open-minded enough to be concerned about the data and see how dynamic the data is, right? The two biggest areas that we've seen changes in, particularly for under 25s, who complete uh, some of our assessments, is that it used to be thought on a lot of assessments, right, that you were either uh, introverted or extroverted, right? Uh, And then from a motivation perspective, it was thought, okay, you're either going to be intrinsically motivated or you're going to be extrinsically motivated right and you are one or the other right um and what we're finding increasingly with with the younger age group and also with uh returning women to the workplace this is another demographic where these these uh um uh, these 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 factors seem to come into play is we're finding that actually what people are demonstrating is is the preference and the ability to to be both right so we're finding people who are um uh, and in their motivation right so like uh, under 25 is coming to the organization saying okay i want to be very highly rewarded and i like to be recognized and i like praise and i like feedback um and you know i expect that right and and, and i thrive on in that situation but i also at the same time expect to be paid very well uh, and i expect uh, I, 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 so I, I want all of that extrinsic uh, recognition but i also want to work in an environment where I get a sense of meaning where the organizational values are aligned to my values, where I think there's a sense of purpose. Uh, I feel proud about talking about my job with my friends and my family. I want both of those. I don't want one or the other. I'm not willing to sacrifice one or the other. Um, and similarly with um, extrovert and introvert, we're finding this uh, ambivert phenomenon, right? With, with younger people, right? Where right, right. in different fields, maybe more on social media, I'm willing to be very open with you, right? I'll like your post. I'll not like your post. I'll, I'll troll you. I'll tell you that you're amazing. I'll tell you that you're terrible. No problem. And I'll share lots of information about myself that maybe, you know, people of my generation would hesitate to do, right? Conversely, in the face-to-face aspect, the same person in a slightly different situation is maybe going to be slightly more uncomfortable or less Uh, preferring the sort of uh, interactions that maybe we, you know, we all relied on much more exclusively 20, 30 years ago.
1: Absolutely. And I think, I think that's really interesting. Um, And I think the key, the key takeaway there is it's, it's dynamic, right? I mean, we're, we're talking about human brains. We're talking about neurodiversity, neuroplasticity, things change, people change, cultures change, um, you know, it's, and, and you've got to be open-minded and, and flexible. So, uh, well, we are, with that, we are coming towards the end of our time together. And I want to make sure that uh, you actually uh, get to enjoy your evening a little bit. <laughs> so um, we're going to shift gears, go into the Rebel HR flash round. So question number one, where does HR need to rebel okay well i i think uh
0: probably the short answer is everywhere um i think the longer answer would be i don't know i i'm british right so i guess we love aphorisms right so i'll, I'll give you a couple of aphorisms right so i think um rules are for the guidance of wise men and the adherence of fools okay so i think hr best practice hr policies they are all there for a very good purpose and they're written for consistency and fairness and you can see the value of them, right? So I don't, I'm not getting that right, but if we want to value individuals and we want to be creative and we want to stick to our philosophy and our principles, then we need to use those as uh, guidance for decision-making, but we don't need to slavishly follow them. Um, and maybe this is the difference, I don't know, that this is the a cultural difference but this I think is really very important that we we understand the purpose but we think pragmatically and we think uh, dynamically about how we how we do it and I think the other aphorism which really resonates for me is you know human resources when I went into the profession whatever that was like 30 odd years ago now I think um actually for me the priorities change I think we don't need so much human resources if you think about how we're perceived um, by our customers by our um, by our organizations sometimes what we need uh, is less jargon maybe less talking to ourselves more understanding other people and ultimately we need less HR and more uh, resilient human human beings right more resourceful human beings right so if we can create a culture where our people are empowered, they're confident, they're capable, um, then that's actually what we need to do rather than legislate for what they should or shouldn't do.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't want legislate to be anywhere in my job description. Let's okay. put it that way. I agree. 100%. <laughs> All right. Question number two, who should we be listening to? Um, so I, I think the
0: sort of guidance that we're getting, like about the sort of echo chambers that a lot of us, live in is probably a a wise one we should listen to like people who disagree with us because i think we can learn a lot from people that uh we disagree with we can either confirm our beliefs or we can learn something new i think we should also listen to people that we trust because um, people that you trust whether that's your colleagues whether that's your friends your family tend to give you more open and honest feedback and then on one of the technical points we discussed earlier i think this cultural aspect There's a really good book and a really good researcher at the moment, which I'm really getting into, which I would highly recommend. A guy called Joseph Heinrich. I think he's Canadian. Uh, He wrote a book a couple of years ago called Weird People. Weird is an acronym for Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. So basically he's saying that all of social science, including human resources, is over-reliant on this sort of culturally biased data set, um, and we need to sort of get get a more sort of representative sample.
1: Fascinating. I love that. I'm, I'm looking that book up. I haven't heard that, but weird people that, uh, you yeah, know, that, that, that definitely does describe me. So, you know, I, I think he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last question. How can our listeners connect with you and learn more?
0: Okay. So if uh, anybody's interested to find out more about the talent enterprise, then you can look at uh, the talent Uh If you want to uh, contact me directly, there may be my email uh, david at com. I'd be happy to field any questions or give any further information if that's relevant.
1: Absolutely. And we'll have that information in the show notes. Uh, david also has uh, some some books that he's he's written. There's some published uh, books out there. There's some great resources on the website. So I encourage you to check that out. David, it's just been absolutely wonderful uh, getting to connect with you. I appreciate you sharing some of these insights. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Kyle. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Enjoy your evening. Thank you. You too. All right. right, That does it for the Rebel HR Podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at RebelHumanResources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast.
0: Baby.